Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. So I've got to ask about the electrics. Well, maybe we'll wait. But I saw your announcement about the electrics here, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's super cool. Like, I mean, it's been on the original uh like idealist since the very beginning mm-hmm. um and that technology changed pretty quick and there's a lot of different ways to do it we wanted um you know to make sure we we're doing it right and, and sticking to our motorsport routes mm-hmm. so how big of how big of an issue it, it seems like the motor would be reasonably available but the battery seems like that would be the biggest issue uh, and the gear, the gear transfer system from Sedev is also quite a long lead time and, and an expensive piece. But, sure. Um, so, but it's it's lightweight, it's strong, it's been proven on rally applications and stuff with ex- this exact motor. So, okay. Um, yeah, batteries are also an issue. Um, we're trying to build ten electric cars um, for twenty twenty four. Wow. Um, so the the one prototype here, and then nine more like consumer cars. Um, is kind of the goal. So we've got the the motor, the one gear transfer system, and hope to use that to like test everything and sell the spots. It's so close to an RX3. Oh, sure. It's, we've tested all the things that I'm concerned about where the weight is going to stay very similar. It's going to stay in the same place. Um, So it's just a matter of testing, uh, you know, our package per se. Sure. And I'm guessing that like, with the with the weight like it's so small and so light that maybe the battery the, the size of the battery the, the the capacity of the battery is not as big of an issue um no it is <laughs> it's, it's oh big, it is okay yeah uh, but i wanted to keep true to the driving experience my biggest complaint of every electric car is weight and you have to have that to have range right. and i said to hell with range I want this thing to drive right. I don't care if it's for five minutes. Sure. It's got to be badass for five minutes. Right. Um, and not carry that additional weight. So um, I don't, I didn't care what our range is truly. Um, we expect it to be able to do like a full Pikes Peak type run. Um, so like 15 minutes of, of solid racing runtime um, mm-hmm. at a minimum. Um, and in doing that, we're able to, keep uh rx3 regular rx3 weight what the car was built to mm-hmm. do and handles really nicely so um yeah that was number one priority was get something that is still fun to drive and is electric but um doesn't get bloated it was yeah every single electric car i've been in that's driven, the challenge they're so heavy and yep. it just kills it numbs it they, they all drive nice in their respective ways but um it just kills the whole experience. And with the, the base Sierra being, a you know, manual brakes, sequential gearbox, mm-hmm. handbrake, very, very analog. Um, <clears throat> that's what makes it special. You know, that's why we can take a, a 60 horsepower, 700 RX. Yeah. It was like one of the most fun things you've like, nobody yeah. makes 60 horsepower feel better than us. Like, right. It's right. just a really, really cool experience. For sure. Um, so, and I think that I, that's the last thing I want to do is lose that just to add some numbers on the range box. People mm. coming by cars from us, I don't care about range. 
Um, we, we right, right, right. That if we can do Pikes Peak, which is one of the longer race runs that we do, all the rally cross stuff, they're like five, six laps. Mm -hmm. um, so everything that this car is really good at range doesn't matter. And we have swappable battery technology. So, right. That, that would probably be a lot easier with the tube chassis because you've got such easy access. Yeah. So we've got a three battery pack system being developed um, that we can um, slide them out, you know, about 50 pounds a piece. Um, oh, wow. One battery pack out or slide all three out, slide three new ones in, and then you're good to go again. Um, nice. So, yeah, there was a lot of thought and consideration and planning around all this and, and what I wanted it to be versus parts that are available. And, and I'm broke. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The cost of things and, you know, what, who's willing to partner up and help us on this stuff has been a big part of it. So, sure. Yeah, that, that changes the, the timeline of everything. Yeah. When you're broke. <laughs> well, it, it, I would say, like, trying to do it very cost effectively. And, like, that's a huge amount of R&D to like take on as, is a, is a privateer, like even as a, a moderate size shop, you know? Yeah. I can't do it. Luckily yeah. we've built up a good enough, like race reputation that uh, we're able to partner with a company called Hypercraft, who is oh, cool. splitting some of the costs with us, you know, um, for, that's exciting. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's the future of their business and our business. We both have skin in the game. Um, and yeah, so far they're, they're proven to be a, a good solid partner at this point. And, yeah Hopefully, yeah we can both grow together but uh yeah there's there's definitely some risk um and r d costs and stuff and yeah another reason i didn't want to deviate too much from what we've already developed and work, work, works really well um is it works well and we've spent yeah. a lot of money and time to make that part work good so um simply doing the powertrain swap and keeping 95 percent of what makes a sierra special to drive yeah is was really important to me very cool. And, and like any, I mean, you mentioned Pikes Peak where like, if you've got enough battery, it, that's relatively short. I mean, you're talking 13 miles ish. Yeah. So like that's, that's seemingly within reasonable striking distance for an electric car. Is there anything else that you're thinking? Like as far as a series or anything that might be an option? Well, I think that if we have that kind of runtime that qualifies for any short format race series. Okay. Okay. Short course off-road or, um, you know, rally cross type settings. Uh, right. We will be attending like SCCA rally cross at PPIR. Okay. Not, not sure yeah. that we'll have the electric car done by then, but uh, we would love to go and take it out. So um, Pikes Peak is one of the longer runs. Okay. Especially without having to touch the car. I go do Colorado hill climb. I think oh, yeah. you five runs on one set of batteries. But okay. Me, I'm gonna I'm gonna swap in fresh batteries yeah. throughout the day like I would with fresh tires. Um, so there, it gives us the ability to cover ninety percent of the races that we deal with today. Sure. Um, without without issue. That's I, I didn't even think of the hill climbs, but that makes perfect sense. That's like the perfect application. If you can do Pikes Peak, you can easily do any of the, the CHCA series. Any of them. I think the yeah. only one that's longer is that one down in Mexico, um, which is probably closer to 20 miles. And mm. so you know, maybe we don't have the juice for that one, but that's not quite as much of a hill. So maybe not we, yet. We, you know, we, we won't know until we yeah. get into it. And um, the battery pack going in the first car is going to be a little bit different than the nine cars that go out into the world. Sure um you know as prototypes are so sure yeah, uh, i don't know exactly what it's going to be but i'm pretty excited about it it's because it's putting down alpha levels of torque and oh wow so this will wait, wait 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 
Wait, so you said that the electric one, so, sorry, Dussex, we're talking about the electric uh, Sierra uh -huh. car that we're going to. Okay. I actually saw the post the other day. So okay. I'm excited. And, and, and we were waiting for you. So we, we, we just we just ran away. We haven't even started yet. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah. I don't know when this officially starts, but I'm ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when, but but I got it. So you're saying that the, the electric one is making as much as the Alpha series, which is the turbo Hayabusa engine. And weighs less. And weighs less. Yes. It's the battery it weighs less? That's sick. Well, that was, as I was telling him earlier, that was the number one thing is I didn't want this thing to get heavy like every other electric car in existence. Yeah. It, it might only go 15 minutes. It might only be able to do one Pike's Peak run with a full charge, but I don't care. I need it to be lightweight and drive right. Yeah. Um, and That's crazy. pieces are shorter than Pike's Peak that we, we go and do and have the ability to swap batteries out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the fact that it'll have alpha level of power um, like for example, the arc three now does 120 miles an hour, yeah. 25 on a good day, right. You know, the right combo. Um, and we expect the new Sierra echo, the electric model to do 150 miles an hour because it's got the torque to pull, you know, at the higher right. speed, right. the, boost, uh, the naturally aspirated boost. It doesn't have that. Of course the alpha could go 150. Yeah. Um, but so I expect that, uh, this car that's lighter than alpha but has the same power potential for you know 15 minutes should be close to as fast um as an alpha at pike's peak not not quite as fast just because it's not not making it, it's i just don't think it'll be as fast right. I hope I'm wrong and i hope i wipe my you know pike's peak record away right. with the electric model um well but here's the thing it's electric it doesn't care how high it is it doesn't care yeah. about elevation well, and dude, number one, it's reliable. The electric stuff, like I have plenty of dramas with electric, things I don't like about electric, sure. um, but I'm not an idiot. I can see all the advantages and benefits. Right. And reliability with power is a beautiful thing, man. Like it is like, yeah. It, it, instead of becoming a better mechanic, you become a better race car driver. And that's what it's about. And right. so I think uh, the reliability side of things and just the less headaches with gas engines and you take a motorcycle engine that's already kind of stressed. And now you put it in a car. Okay. Right. Now you turbo on it. Now you're right. driving a really steep hill. It's just like, right. oh, you're asking for trouble when you, when you put that many levels of stress onto something. That's uh, true. That, it was kind of the limit. It's, Is it going to be like a, a high-low gearbox in that thing? Kind of like – nope. Uh, was it so just one speed basically? Uh, I think the Porsche Taycan has yeah. that uh, the, the two speed. Um, Formula E at one point had two speed. As a driver, I love the thought of a, a gearbox, a shift of mm -hmm. some sort. Um, but just with the application that we have, um, it's, it's just not necessary. It's not going to net us anything really. Um, okay. In the big scheme of things, like I, it, it makes sense. I know how we can make it work, but. Um, what I see this eventually rolling into is uh, a more of a consumer model EV and then more of the race model EV, which we're building yeah. the race model first. We always build the race car first and then, you know, bleed the technology back. Yeah. yeah. So, Man, well, I think it will split into what's, uh, you know, what is like at a simple driving school, for example, like you go to a rally school or something, they have some electric cars that actually makes it affordable for somebody to have one of these cars. It would be cheaper even because like if, if you have easy access to the batteries, like you send them out 15 minute session, come back, swap batteries, you're ready to go. 
cinematic and, and like the overall wear and tear on the vehicle, like for, for a, a rally school, you'd figure it would be significantly less than in like a, 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 a production-based car that's turned into a rally car that's also using a gasoline engine. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like I, I do this, the cost analysis on the Sierra driving experience constantly. It's 50% of our business is that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, I anticipate that the electric car will cost half as much as our 700cc car. Wow. And that is phenomenal because it has higher performance potential than the RX-3. Yeah. Um, so, and with the ability to turn power down, so we'll have different maps, you know, to exchange, extend battery life and stuff like that. So you don't have, you're not giving some kid 250 foot pounds of torque, we'll start them with oh, yeah. the torque um, and it'll last a little bit longer. Um, how, how are you, con- how are you controlling it? Or, or is, is literally the control just the throttle is the throttle just the, the direct like control of power to the motor? Or is there like a, is there an, an ECU in between the yeah, throttle and the like motor? A, a vehicle control module, there's battery management that takes place. So there's a number of different things, but um, essentially what we can expect on the production car is, is two different maps, a high speed mm. map. Um, maybe we'll tell you where the switch is. Maybe we won't, right. um, but just to give people the ability um, with the way the batteries discharge and take charge and everything like that. Um, it's very critical that all of these systems are communicating um, with each other. So it's, it's not real easy. It's, I guess it would be similar to tuning an ECU for a car with the right combination of parts. Sure. And then trying to achieve, you know, um, what's called flux fuel levels of compatibility. And yeah. so I, I run this high power and these are the, the criteria that needs to be met by, um, you know, state of charge on the battery, um, hmm. the motor outputs, you know, cooling okay. requirements. And so we'll essentially write two different maps uh, for these cars. So you've got a high and low power setting and, you know, the, the battery life is, will just be what it is. I don't know what it will actually improve. Right. But um, and, yeah, and again, would, like if it's easy to replace them, it kind of doesn't matter nearly as much. Totally. Yeah. And I anticipate because you go to a track day, it's like you spend 10 hours at the track and you, you're getting five 20 minute sessions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not actually driving hard for 20 minutes. You're, right. you're warming up, you're out there, you're right. cruising on. So they end up being like 15 minute sessions. So you don't realize you get scammed until you're driving home. You're like, oh man, I just spent 10 hours at the track and I spent like, a total of an hour and a half actually driving. Well, well, no, you get used to it. You're like, you drive home. You're like, I spent an hour and a half actually driving all day today. You can get excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. All those guys used to autocross. They're like, man, I used to do 12 hours a day just to get two minutes of driving. This is quite the upgrade. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's all perspective, right? It's what yeah, uh, yeah. you think. So I think our, our battery use time um, will be pretty good in real world just because asking people when I have clients, I used to do 20 minute sessions in Sierras and they can't hack it most of the time yeah. to go for yeah. 20 minutes straight. That's so, a lot. You know, I, I brought these run times down. So um, yeah, I should, with the typical program that I run in like, let's say a group of four people, um, it'll last about four hours and people will drive twice during those four hours and they drive roughly 15 minutes um, each time. And so I would anticipate I get away with just a single battery swap on one of these cars to, to run a group of people through it. So, Oh man, um, that's going to be awesome. You should keep the cost down um, without ruining like the drive experience. Because I tell you, if, if I get this electric motor in and the thing sucks, 
we're just not going to do it. <laughs> like, right. simple as that. If it's not good to drive, then we won't produce it. It won't, it won't be right. something that we need to pursue. But um, I've driven enough electric stuff at this point that's, you know, I, I think I think it'll be pretty rad and do what we want it to do. And the idea that it will cost less than our base model 700 RX, but overperform what our RX3 does. Yeah. And do that at half the cost of the 700 price is just, you know, really exciting to me because it just, I'm able to lower my price to get more people involved in the cars and then driving schools and driving centers and drive experience type places will want to buy the cars because it's a proper business model at that point. The yeah. margins are so slim when I do Sierra experiences now, like if somebody goes out and wipes out an engine, it's like, damn, I just lost money for two or three of these full day experiences yeah. because of a bad shift. Yeah. And so if we can eliminate that, like that failure, then the economics of running a driving school with one of these cars gets so, so much better, you know, for sure. Human air, uh, oil level, yeah. just RPM rev limiter, you remove all those factors from wiping out engines and it, it suddenly becomes um, a lucrative business. Even, even more viable. I think yeah. PPR needs a couple of these people. Well, yeah, and that's, buddy, call the person in charge, man. Who's writing checks over there? Let's get I know. Yeah. I know. Well, Let's see if uh, Jeanette can sneak it in the motorsport budget. There you <laughs> go. Well, and it seems like for this kind of like a purpose-built car that is that is like I, having driven it, I know what the performance is like and how much fun they are, and that like that brings it even more like the, the higher level of accessibility because if it's just a battery and electric motor, so many fewer moving pieces it's just so much more attainable. Like if, if say NASA would pick it up or, or like there was a, a spec rallycross series for these things, like that's such an appealing package to a novice racer to know that like my stress levels, like the amount of wrenching that might need to be done to like go out and have a lot of fun for a whole season or, or, or whatnot is, is even that much less it so, makes it so much more exciting. Yeah. And you, like you said, you nailed it with moving parts. I think, like the Tesla is like seven or nine moving parts in their power. Right. What? Yeah. You look at the boost and it's like, here's 1300 moving parts. They get real yeah. hot, and real cold and they rail mm -hmm. on each other. And uh, you know, yep. you're lucky if they yep. don't screw up and ruin your day. Yep. And it's awful, man. It's, it's a lot of stress uh, to deal with all that. Like it's yeah. cool. They make neat noises and everything, but uh, we don't, you know, I'm not getting rid of the gas stuff. This stuff is in in addition to. I, right. I, I love gas race car engines and you know everything that we've been able to do with fuel. Nor do I think we're ready for a complete EV you know car takeover. Like it's just not it's not feasible. We're not ready. No, the EV yeah. is not there either. Um, yep. So battery tech is is just it's it's getting there, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, it's good I mean, enough. Even tracks need to figure out. Like we we have all these 50 amp plugs around here. And if you're not if you're not paying attention, those Tesla dudes are definitely plugged into it, you know. <laughs> Which I tell Jazz, like you guys need to control that. It's like, yeah. but there's a lot of tracks that just aren't set up, like built around like the friendliness for EVs yet. Like Pueblo is a good example. La Junta, I mean, there's like 12 outlets at La Junta. Period. I mean, yeah. High Plains is all set up around. You have to rent a whole RV spot, but. I mean, it could be a lucrative investment as these things start to catch traction and start to to move on where you start seeing these like at least medium charge power stations being implemented. Yeah. And it's so, like, coming for for my situation. I 
I've driven EVs on the street early. Like I, I leased my first EV in 2013 and I lived with it and I did that for five years. So I know how like stressful and range anxiety and the, what a pain in the ass it is to own an electric yeah. car. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted swappable batteries. Cause if I like, let's say in my Nissan Leaf, if I could carry like a, a trunk full of spare batteries, I would. I sure. absolutely would. Sure. Because running out sucks. It happened yeah. a few times where I misjudged the weather. And so now I'm running, you know, my wipers and the drag mm-hmm. from the snow. Like I got caught out a couple times, ended up a zero. But if I could have carried, you know, five, 10 more miles of range in my trunk, I absolutely would have done that. So yeah. um, the swappable battery pack idea um, where you have like, uh, let's say you've got a driving school of PPIR, you've got a wall of batteries. They're all charged up. You only run the events during the day. And so yeah. it charges up overnight. You load up the cars and you swap them out as needed. Um, and it's it's a non-issue at that point because you've got yeah. your bait can. You come in, they get low, just swap them out. And uh, they can charge overnight. You don't need to charge at peak hours, which again, keeps the cost down. You've got an inventory of batteries there that are swappable amongst all the cars. Um, yeah, so it's, it is... Well, and, and that's the other in mind and the user friendliness. The other really cool thing, cool, because the batteries are modular, battery technology improves, you just get a new battery. You don't have to replace the car. You just get the new solid state battery or whatever is the new hotness that gives you more, more range yeah. or whatever. And it, you just plug that new battery in. Yeah. That's the technology we see changing the fastest. Um, and so it's, that's why it's swappable. It's just right. new one in there. And the components that we have are um, kind of the latest and greatest stuff that exist in the performance world, um, you know, for the motor itself and the hmm. gear system. Yep. They've been tested on World Rally Cross cars, like the, you know, on the EV okay. side and they've been hammering on them for five years now. So uh, I feel like we're at the very pinnacle of technology for, for this stuff, especially because it's overbuilt. You know, it's that stuff's made for like yeah. a, 200 pound car and you know we're clocking in at probably around 1100 pounds yeah um, so it's, it should be pretty well overbuilt for our application again um keeping the reliability really really high and cost of owning the car for sure yeah. man but what is what i'm what i'm picturing here is i remember when i was a kid and i, I had rc cars and there was a there's like a dirt track that was indoors that i would go to and i'd bring my little car and i had a couple batteries and you're, you're out there you're driving your car get the battery on the quick charger back in the little pit area you drive for like 15 minutes. Then you, you pick your car up, you go back, you swap the batteries. You, you put that one on the charger, you go back and you drive for another 15 minutes. Yeah. That's what you're describing is that, that RC car experience, but like much larger with, yeah. with you behind the wheel. Yeah, that's it. And in the future, I want to integrate stuff like self-driving technology to for accident avoidance, safety, um, being able to run in more diverse courses, uh, you know, I, I want people to feel what it is like to jump a car. I know what that feels like. It's awesome. Oh, wow. Um, and it's Quit great. That it's, Utah. <laughs> what's that? Put that giant gap at Utah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. Just waiting for my invite. Um, yep. But I want to incorporate that into the drive experience. And if we have, you know, the technology that says, okay, this car is heading the right speed and the right trajectory. Um, and it's not going to hit the lip sideways and want to flip over. Um, cool. Power ahead. Let this guy hit the jump. And uh, mm. so it's just cool technology to bring it to more people. I, 
I realize every day how very fortunate I am to have like had this career path and had these drive opportunities. Um, and it's very unique and um, I don't take that for granted. Um, but so I'm kind of on a mission to, to get people to feel what I feel as a driver behind the wheel, because it is so surreal. It's really indescribable. Um, so being able to physically put people in these cars myself, like, right. Yeah. Give, give, very, give them, fun. give them that experience. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's right there to, to get up to speed on how to not screw up on how to do it. Right. So if I make it easier for them to feel all the cool race car stuff, but they don't have to sell their soul to motorsport for 20 years to, to get it. Right. You know, it's, it's a win-win. So I can, t- my goal is to take somebody who has 75 bucks, put them in a car and give them an experience. They'll remember for the rest of their lives. You know, right now that price point up is up around 500 bucks. And during grid life, I did $75 Sierra experience things. They, everybody did about three laps at that price. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a comfortable price for people, um, you know, they could afford it and, you know, and then have some money to, to drive a Sierra the next day. It's, uh, it was, it was a really cool experience to see like, oh, this price point is accessible to so many people. Yeah. And so that's kind of been my goal is get, get that price point down to make it accessible to more people. Well, the hope is that that's just the start. Like it, it gets people into that experience and then, and then all of a sudden they, then they, then they decide, yeah, I'm going to sell my soul to motorsports for the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's the right decision. Some people I'm sure of it. Yeah. yeah. It's so well, funny. That's, to that's think what keeps the you- sport going. <laughs> It's so funny to think of EVs being like, I don't know, we we kind of lament about like how yawn inducing it can be sometimes and like the thrill. But when you talk about it in something like the Sierra car, all I can think about is like, like John was saying, like RC cars, like this is like, it could be like sick, you know, like a one-to-one scale RC car and you're out there ripping that thing, getting all the smells. Yeah. yeah. With all that you suspension know? and it just like the capability of the car, the handling is so good. Yeah. Like, man. Yeah, that would be an absolute blast. Yeah, it, it, it has to happen. I'm really banking on it, man. It, I think it's going to happen. It's it, and it like you're saying, if the motor is not what you want it to be, wait six months. I mean, yeah, it's, the, the development is is moving so fast in this arena now. It is. It is. I think uh, you know we, we should be pretty close on the first go because this is, like I said, this is not just something that just happened. This has been in the works for four years. Wow. Um, so I've, you know, told my inner circle of friends uh, about it and uh, people involved with the, the project and the program. Um, but this is the first time we've really gone public about it. Okay. Um, so because we're, we're really close, we have the motor here. We have the sure. gearbox here. The battery packs are two weeks away from being here. They're just getting the enclosures um, built up. So yep. this is something that's, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd love to have it at uh, Rally Cross in whatever, September. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd love to have it out for that. Um, and if we can get it to like a CHCA event this year also to do some testing on it, like to do that as well. But um, yeah. the, the idea is at the end of 2023, last quarter, we're delivering those nine uh, production cars. Um, you know, the chassis are here. Uh, they've got the, the motors are already available. I need to order the gear transfer systems uh, out of France. So it's all feasible. It can it's, all happen in that time frame. Um, and yeah, it's fun. It was so good to like, we haven't posted the pictures yet, but to mate the motor up to the gearbox was just like, oh, it's really happening. It's really, really happening. That's so cool. It was a g- good moment. Man. 
Well, I tell you what, this this stuff is all too good. So we're so all that I'm going to put that in there. I'm going to tell everybody now that you're listening to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. We got Dussex here with us, and we have Cole Powelson from Life Motorsports. And and at this point, you've probably heard all about this this cool electric Sierra car. But Cole, I want to I want to go. We're going to go forward because we've got to talk about Pikes Peak because you're doing some crazy stuff for Pikes Peak this year. But I want to go back. Well, staying with the Sierra car for a minute to Mount oh. Washington. Yeah. Because like right after we spoke last time, then you went out there and ran Mount Washington and set a two-wheel drive record. Is that right? Yeah. Two-wheel drive record. The, the second fastest person ever to run there behind Pastrana himself. So, and, yeah. and you put the video up. And if anybody hasn't watched it, you've got to go out there and watch it. And I got to ask you, like, first and foremost, what was that like? That road looks insane. Very <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> terrifying, I think, is a good word. Yeah, no, it's it's super spooky, man. It's really the toughest stretch of road I've ever done battle with. And uh, yeah, we jokingly, after the first set of race runs, it's, unlike Pikes Peak, you get two runs here. Okay. And so we all did our first set of race runs, and we all like push hard. We all tried hard. Um, <clears throat> And so we're joking around Pastrana and Christian Plessy at the top. And we're like, yeah, I don't think we need to do that again. Like, <laughs> no. like everybody good. And uh, of course we're all racers. So we all went back and, and tried again. Uh, Travis didn't go any quicker. Chris went quicker and I went quicker. Um, but it, by the end of the second run, I was like, I, I'm good. That is as right. much I can handle for the day. Two two max attacks runs at this mountain is is it. So right. um, I definitely could have gone quicker if I learned more, but like you can only do so much in, in, in a single weekend there. So we're extremely excited with our results um, for the first time going there. But uh, yeah, it is not a road to be taken lightly. It is what it's difficult. What it, what it looked like is like it really a dirt road that just lived a long life as a dirt road. And then without any kind of like landscaping or manicuring, they just decided, yeah, let's put some asphalt on top of it. I mean, just like the undulations. I mean, it, it, yeah. it it's like you were driving a paved rally course or something. And it looks yeah. super narrow. Beyond like, narrow. Like, yeah. So narrow. It's so the, the things that, caught me off guard that I didn't expect to be as bad um, until I got there was the undulations in the road. Like people talk about the intersection of Pikes Peak. Well, those are like bumps. There's literal like asphalt waves that that roll up the mountain and it's super sketchy from the bottom all the way to the top. Um, And there's tree cover coverage. um, So there's a lot of shadows um, that that change during the day. Um, Oh, wow. And the fact that it's so narrow with no shoulder, I, I've never thought that Pikes Peak had a big shoulder. Uh, and now very grateful for that. Um, wow. But yeah, rocks sticking out of the road, super narrow sections, like big waves of, of asphalt, um, very rocky terrain. Um, yeah, it is the most difficult road. Like if you think of a, like an Irish tarmac rally stage. Sure. That's probably the closest like, thing. To or it. Isle of Man, maybe like where you've got the road and then there's like big rocks on either yeah. side. Like th- not only is there no runoff, but like you will be immediately penalized if you go a touch too oh, wide. 
Well, Judson grabbed a photo um, from when we were there of on, on race day runs. I was cut in this corner and they, <laughs> the rocks are like in the road. And so you go to the shoulder and they literally painted a white line over a rock. Cause it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, here's the edge. And, but they just, the asphalt kind of yeah. just poured over the rock itself. And then just paint over everything. And I remember puckering like, <gasps> cause I cut the corner a little bit too much and you can zoom in on that photo and it looks like I'm riding over the top. And this is like giant two fist size rock. And I just brushed against it. And I, I remember it, but I had no idea that Judson got it perfectly on camera. Um, and it's just, that's just one of those things that that road has that you would never deal with anywhere else. I caught mold air multiple times during my run. And here's a, here's a funny story about, you know, catching air at Mount Washington on the first set of like, you know, practice runs up to the top. Um, Pastrana goes, Hey, how many times did you catch air? And I said, Oh, I think two times. He said, oh, rat, like, but be careful because you keep jumping further as you go faster. The road is so narrow that if you jump too far, you land past your turning point. Oh, oh man. And or your over. breaking point. Yes. Oof. And I was like, oh, he's totally right. Because you think going faster, like you're jumping further, you're jumping further. Well, that's great to right. point until you miss your turning point because the road constantly moves. It's, there's no section of straight road there. And so it kind of adjusted my driving on a couple of these sections where I caught air immediately. Like the next time I made runs, my run was faster, but I wasn't doing like the jumps. Yeah. He's high. Um, so I'm glad he gave me that piece of advice because I would have just been charging harder and harder and then eventually sure. landed past my turning point. But uh, wow. just little stuff like that, that's uh, at Pike's Peak, you know, you avoid the bumps and stuff like that. And, um, but there's, not near the sets of giant challenges that yeah. uh, that Mount Washington threw in front of us. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a hectic road for sure, and um, I think I want to go back. You know, <laughs> well, that, that was going to be my next question: is like, are you are you going to go back? And it sounds like still some some calculation being done there. Yeah, I'd I'd go back under the right circumstances. It's uh you know it's expensive and, and time it's far and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if the right partner came along to, to fund the program, then I would happily do it. I'm not in a position right now to, to fund my own racing. Um, yeah. So yeah, if somebody came on board, like, uh, you know, Yokohama yeah. or somebody like that, that's already yeah. involved with the program. Yeah. If they flip the bill and I get to play race car driver, yeah, I'll be there. Um, but having to worry about the funding and running the team and doing the driving is really just difficult to do. That's all a lot. Things. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. I've gotten it done there, you know, so at a certain level. So I'm happy with that. Um, well, and set a record and I mean, like huge result. Yeah. It was just one of those weekends where we could do no wrong. It just went quicker and quicker and um, had no drama. The car didn't break. Like it was just a picture perfect weekend. So part of me is like, why would you ever go back? Like, yeah, the answer's because I'm a racer, and uh, you know I know well, there's seven more seconds there, or whatever. Right, right. Um, so I know I can best it. I know there's definitely improvements on the car that we made. I know a lot more about suspension setup. I would totally change uh, our suspension setup going back there. Um, so as a racer, yeah, I want to go back and better it, but I don't have this yearning desire to conquer the mountain. Same with Pikes Peak. I've kind of like settled my beef with those mountains, and yeah. uh, 
now we're homies and it's it's yeah. just a place that I want to continue to be involved in but under the right circumstances I'm not going to run myself ragged trying to do everything but uh, sure. I certainly wouldn't pass up the opportunity to work with the right partner to to go back and and run yeah. again you got to pick your battles to a certain extent and and is you had a phenomenal result in the uh, Sierra Alpha at Pikes Peak also um, but like almost a, the proof of concept of the car was Mount Washington. I mean, seeing the, the kind of bumps that the suspension was absorbing, that, that you you had, I think you had the best package on that race day, even compared to you know the car that Pastrana was was driving, which is the the Air Slayer, the Vermont Sports Car built, but it, it's a big car. Yeah. I mean, if you if you hand me the keys to both of them and said you got to rip up Mount Washington as fast as you can, I would have definitely taken the Sierra versus that car because I want yeah. something that's small. It's got tons of travel. Yeah. I could see where all the wheels are. So like, you know, I'm not not going to hit anything like uh, on the edges blind. I mean, yeah, I think it's a really good fit. You know, the car yeah. was it was born as a rally cross car that we you know had a naturally aspirated engine in and, and made it do this thing at Pikes yeah. Peak. Um, but because it was already set up for that, um, and it's, it's got all the rally car stuff. It does, you know, it handles like a rally car. It's got a handbrake that yeah. you know, I didn't use it on race day or anything like that, but, uh, good suspension travel, good bump steer characteristics through its full range of motion. Um, the fact that we're airborne multiple times, um, it was, yeah, I think it was pretty well suited for that place. And I, at no point did I like drive beyond my comfort limit. You know, I, I was at the limit, um, but I didn't feel like I took on any unnecessary risks or tried to like, Oh, I need to squeeze more time out of it. When I made my second race run, I said, I'm going to do the same thing, but smoother. And I actually picked up more speed by using less brakes. So yeah. I was overbraking into certain areas. And so just using a little bit less brakes, I still had, you know, good apex speed and good drive out, but um, you know, it was under the braking zones where I carried a little more confidence to get the thing rolled into the corner. Um, yeah, that, that netted some extra time gained. That's awesome, man. What an, what a, what an experience for sure. And again, like anybody that hasn't watched it, it's going to look like it's fast forward and like, like double speed. It's not, <laughs> I could only imagine like when you were driving, did it, did it feel like it was in slow motion or was it, was it real time or did it feel just like crazy hectic as you were? It's hectic, it? man. Yeah. It was one of the most like, this is like the rally. Hey, Cole, you want to be a rally car driver? Like, now's this your chance it. yeah because it was just you can't see any corners i don't know my dude i don't know my ass or my elbow there i don't know anything about that place like i barely knew which direction that corner went so um i can't say that i mastered it uh, or anything like that um so i was driving what i could see as fast as i could okay um but i certainly didn't have the place mastered by by any means which which made it all that more hectic for me um well it was the most on point day of driving i think i've ever had in my life as far as just being like as good as i could have been with the you know the the training that i'd done i yeah. recently didn't have like the game out yet they launched it there the Sprana <laughs> had some opportunities to drive it on the okay. same but the dirty dog he already knows the mountain better than anybody and he got on the sim a lot. So now that the sims are mm. like, you know, you can get into practice and like learn it a little bit, but um, I didn't have any of that. You know, I could look at some people's old car footage, but nothing was it, useful. I, that's I got too dense. Yeah. I got there early and ran the rental car up and down a few times and, and I hiked the mountain, you know, that, mm -hmm. I felt like that really, like it's not the same course, but I felt like I just 
became, you know, one with the mountain in a sense. Uh, so I hiked from bottom to the top and uh, just got to learn a little bit more about the features and uh, check it out from another perspective. And that, you know, was what I had to go on on, on race day. But uh, yeah, I was far from mastering. Uh, Man, sure. it, yeah, it all came together. Excellent shape right there. Hiking up the mountain. Like, you know, yeah. I need to put my foot on every corner. I, like, I, I love the hike, man. I do the Manitou incline after Pikes Peak every year. And uh, mountains and race cars are my two favorite things, definitely. So, like, the fact that I get to race race cars up beautiful mountains is, like, the best thing ever. So, yeah. very yeah, cool. You make chickens and race cars are right up there. So, like, the mountains kind of get in the way of that. <laughs> That's right. Man. <laughs> Well, let's let's move on to Pikes Peak because Cole, that's I, I wanted to touch base with you before it got completely insane for Pikes Peak this year. As we're recording this, it is was it's April, end of April. So we've got two months, two months, roughly yeah, speaking, till testing. Weeks. Yeah, six weeks till testing. Yeah. So you've got two crazy projects that you're working on. Yeah. And I don't know which which one do you want to start with? You're, you're building, you, you've, you're taking one of your GTRs and you're putting in a diesel engine to run it is a diesel engine vehicle at Pikes Peak, and you're basically working on restoring and modifying a ProDrive-built WRC car also to run on Pikes Peak this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> they're both exciting mega projects. You know, I, I got into cars because of Subarus, you know, and Subaru mm -hmm. cars specifically. And so the fact that we have a ProDrive, like WRC shell in the shop uh, is just, undescribable i can't even like get over that it's you know that piece of history is here and uh but it, it, meet, it doesn't meet pike's peak tech requirements and you know it's, it's it was just a shell it was really mm -hmm. just a pretty shell um so we had a client that picked up the car from a friend of ours and we started building it um and it's really our modern take on how pro drive would build the car today um with the you know, the latest and greatest in EJ engine technology and SIDEV uh, transmission and drivetrain components from their, uh, you know, factory Subaru program that they've been working on for years. So, um, yeah, we, it's just our take on, you know, how would ProDrive build this car today with access that we have, you know, with everything that we have access to today, all the good parts, because um, those cars are archaic, you know, in the, in the late 90s. Right. It's like the they just made it work, you know, but it was all junk. Uh, compared to what we have access to today. So, um, yeah, this is our take on that. The the owner, John McKinnis, who's trusted us with that project, uh, will be the guy steering it at Pikes Peak this year. Um, he's, he's run there in the past with his Sierra RX3. Um, so super cool. Uh, we, we tried to just keep it as pure as possible, as pure and true to what, uh, you know, the, the original ProDrive car was. Um, you know, while utilizing some more modern stuff like the drivetrain I mentioned, Motec ECU, sequential, mm -hmm. uh, all, all that good, cool rally car stuff. And uh, yeah, so my inner Subaru fanboy is just loving seeing that. Oh, yeah. And uh, come together and I can't wait to see it run on the mountain. It's just, it's going to be a special day. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Because it's it's still, I mean, it's it's the Subaru EJ. It's, it's going to sound like a Subaru is supposed to sound and and should make all the right noises and, and be, be lights out quick as well. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to watch. Should be. We're, we're keeping power pretty conservative and everything. Um, just we want to make a good solid run. We almost went higher power with an additional cooling system in the trunk and everything like that. And we said, you know what, it's 
let's not compromise, you know, what, what makes this car special um, and do all this extra stuff on the build because nobody cares if that thing runs at 10.30 or 11.30. It doesn't really matter. Just yeah. to see that car run at speed is going to be special enough. So let's not booger it up with a bunch of unnecessary add-ons just to keep the thing cool and whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's not making crazy power or anything like that, but uh, it's it, it'll make the right noises, as you said, and uh, it'll, it's all the original livery. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple stickers will be modified to meet some sponsor requirements and stuff like that, but it's going to be the truest thing to a pro drive WRC car. I bet you 99% of the people at Pikes Peak have ever seen. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's pretty special um, for, for a lot of reasons. You know, me personally, you know, the, the guy, John, who owns the car and then mm-hmm. the team that gets to have all this creative direction on uh, yeah. building this masterpiece. So hopefully it's one of those pro drive cars at auctions for a bunch of money in the future. And we you know, say we had a, a finger on it for sure. How much of a challenge or, or was there any challenge as far as finding parts because it was a WRC shell? Cause like, like you were saying, like back when at the late nineties, early two thousands, when Subaru was running this, like a lot of this stuff was, was bespoke. They were, they were making it for that, that specific application. And then they were, they were constantly changing stuff. Like, did you, did you run into any hurdles where they're like maybe suspension pickups we and stuff that had to be modified? There was or? A bunch of hurdles and we didn't even approach them. Okay. We built it from scratch. Okay. Like the parts that came from ProDrive that were on the car, those are the ProDrive parts. We haven't sourced anything else outside of that. Okay. Um, and so it's like, you know, we've used more parts from Vermont Sports Car on this than, than ProDrive parts. And it's okay. Been, they're the latest and greatest in, in doing that sort of stuff. Um, so it's going to have Riger suspension on it. Um, and then it's got a lot of like more sport suspension components, uprights and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, rally spec built the engine. It's got a Cosworth intake manifold, Garrett turbo. We are going twin scroll. Um, like I said, the, all the sedan, uh, drivetrain stuff. Um, so yeah. all of the, like the engine mounts, the subframe mounts, everything is custom, like super unique just specifically for this car there's uh, some of the more sports stuff is kind of generic okay um, in a sense but um yeah the intercoolers custom builds cosworth intake manifold drive-by wire it'll have a motec dash pdm and um it's it's got all the right stuff yeah yeah all, all the good stuff but um if you look in the interior, it's very much uh, how the original ProDrive car was because we, we were able yeah. to have all those bits saved. Um, exterior is going to look identical to, to the way that car competed. Um, but underneath, nothing is, no parts are being shared. Sure. Yeah. It's sure. almost 20 years later, right? I mean, just the amount of technology, how, how far it's advanced is crazy. More yeah. than 20. More than 20, isn't yeah. it? Because it's a yeah, nine, there's a 2000 chassis. A 97, that okay. was like the show car in 98, which has some like, it was always a show car. And so yeah. they put the pretty body on it. They put the proper cage in it. They did the interior, but it just was pretty. That was it. It had no functional right. parts. Um, and then they put some parts from like a 2000 bodied car on it. But it's originally, I think, a WR, WRC 97 chassis. Okay. Um, wow. 
that was, you know, had some bits on it from like 2000. So, um, yeah, it's, it's long time ago, ancient, ancient years. Like I look at what I knew about cars in 97 and it was like, I was clueless, man. I didn't like, I didn't know anything yeah. going on. Well, didn't even have a driver's license yet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I, mean, I turned oh, gosh. 2002. So yeah. yeah. Oh man. Making me feel old here. That's all right. Yeah, um, John, get with it, Grandpa Cooley. I know. I know. Hold on. Let me let me recalibrate my walker, yeah, so we can keep going here. Um, well, and, and the, the interesting thing about the WRC cars back then is they were they were much more closely tied to this to the production cars or to the street cars at that at that yeah. time. Like they didn't get completely crazy like they are now for probably another five or seven years. Yeah. So, like you, I'm, it's cool that you had to make some stuff but i mean it's like the best of the best that's going on so like it's still something like it's it's borderline attainable to to the rest of us that are enthusiasts like maybe someday i can put those more sports subframes on my car and do this that and the other there's there's still stuff that we can look at like everything you described is is potentially out there for for most of us to to apply to our cars if we if we so choose yeah, the, that was it. Like, yeah, there wasn't, you know, like I said, off the shelf, many off the shelf parts for us to grab, but we we did yeah. when we kind of met the motorsport requirements. But uh, yeah, and it's gonna be fun. Strange. Yeah, you say what power you guys are shooting for? Just um, curious. Like three three thirty three fifty wheel. Something. Oh yeah, okay. okay. That is really real. That's that's definitely conservative. Which yeah, wrong with it, you know, I don't we want to go be changing engines and asking you guys for parts all week. <laughs> I keep telling John, we just need to like a whole separate trailer and just bring it with yeah. us. Back, you know, like we might yep. use stuff, but uh, you could definitely make a market on it for sure. Well, I think we're going to be struggling enough with the other project, which is that diesel powered R35 GTR. So that one's yeah. really an odd duck, um, lots of unique parts and pieces on that and the odd combination of things. And, you know, it's a diesel at Pikes Peak, which is just an awful challenge in itself, you know, start with no air and then <laughs> right. try to make a diesel work. So um, that project's clipping along pretty good. Um, yeah. we, we, it just keeps getting heavier and heavier. And um, one of the major issues we had was uh, a roll cage that we had raced for years. Um, oh. Each Pikes Peak standards for over a 4,000 pound car. So, um, we had to completely cut the cage out of it and start from scratch. And Man. it sucks because it's a perfectly good cage, you know. And yeah. wow. um, But we raced it for years and years. And so it, it did get some use out of it. But that was kind of an unforeseen thing that came up as we just said, hey, you know what? We have to add this weight on because we need cooling and reliability. And um, so we just bit the bullet and said, yeah. hey, put, in, put in the two-inch cage for that. But um, it, it'll be... Seven eight hundred horsepower, um, rear wheel drive, four speed automatic transmission. Super common on those. Uh, manual valve body. Um, Leaf spring front road. end. Yeah. <laughs> Leaf spring front end. It'll yeah. it'll have a lot of the um, factory R thirty five like GTR uh, pickup points and suspension components and stuff like that. So okay. Yeah, a lot of the suspension and brakes are just what were on the time attack slash race car previous. Um, so that should be okay. pretty adequate for, you know, the car of that weight and that power level. Um, so shouldn't need too much tuning on stuff there. And it's from the aero perspective, we're already familiar with, you know, what the car likes spring rate wise and how much downforce are, are we expecting to make and how much does the suspension compress at Pikes mm -hmm. Peak. So we have some clues, so that should speed that thing up. But 
you know, running a dry sump six liter Ford power stroke compound turbo through a four speed auto is just like, huh? I don't, yeah. those are not, none of those. That's things. crazy. Uh, so it's been a big learning curve, but um, our primary partner on the project is Riff Raff Diesel. They're based out of Oregon. They do a lot of power stroke uh, performance. Okay. And so I wouldn't even have tried to touch this project if it wasn't for those guys. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, they've taken the edge off and, um, you know, different vendors and people that they've worked with over the years, uh, have shed a lot of lights and, um, you know, given us the confidence that we need to, to go and make a run on a race day. But so with, is that like, cause I mean, a diesel power plant, is that something that you have even contemplated tooting and, and, and playing with before, or was it kind of their idea? And, and did they approach you with the idea of like, hey, we can build the engine, we know diesel, so we can help you with whatever you need to get out of the engine. You just have to find a, a way to put it in a car. Did you, did you ever see people having fun and you just want to go hang out with those people? Yeah. Time or two. People like that, yeah. right? But that's- yeah. So I'm just trying to hang out with cool people. Yeah. And so I saw Scott, you know, Chuckles Garage doing the diesel record thing. Yeah. Yeah. And his an old Smokey and his coming power truck. And I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was having a good time. And we, and we were just finishing another Ford six liter power stroke project. Okay. And we got to drive it. Um, and so at the end of the project or, you know, these projects never really end, but as, as it became drivable, I took the thing out. And what it is, is we took a truck drag race engine out of like a competition diesel drag truck. Then we put it in um, a more modern chassis built by No Limit. Um, and so it's relatively lightweight. And then we put the body from an original 55 Ford F100 on, on this. And so that combination is, is cool and unique. And um, I got to drive it and it was wicked fast and it handled good. I was like, oh my gosh, there's actually some potential. You could make oh. it work. So it was the first like aha moment. <clears throat> We had the chassis, um, the Frank the Tank, the R35 chassis. Its last race was Pikes Peak 2015. Okay. Took all the good bits off that. We were already building another R35 chassis in the background to take to World Time Attack. And so we retired Frank in 2015. And I had this chassis kicking around. And I talked to Clay, um, who owns Riff Raff, and who we did the first project with. And I said, Clay, I got a crazy idea. Like these guys are having fun doing diesel stuff. It's still an attainable record. I really believe in the Ford 6.0 as being like a, a potent power plant that we could do something with. And this R35 chassis is already a heavy pig. It's used to carrying around a lot of weight. I can't think yeah. of a car chassis to put this engine in. And uh, so, yeah, the wheels started turning and we looked at six speed sequentials and we looked at possibly using all wheel drive and lots and lots of combinations uh, to make this deal work. But uh, he was into it. And so we just did a deal. And I said, hey, this this is your race car now. We'll give you the chassis. Um, Let's go. Let's go have some fun with it. Let's go make a a run at this mountain. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's how it all kind of started was just like the aha moment of, oh, this thing drives great. Like we can make this power work. Um, right. And, yeah. And the low hanging fruit with the diesel record and the fact mm-hmm. it looks like a lot of fun to go in and battle with some of these guys um, for the diesel record. You know, it looks like there's four diesel entries for sure. Um, oh, wow. Just, just this year. Yeah. Do you ever you saw that bug last year, right? Those guys with like the two or three turbo bug with uh, that DSG in it. That's just 
that thing is just I don't know how those guys couple that thing together, but it just seems crazier every time I see it. Hey, well, it's now he's done a complete chassis swap. So he's oh. the same drivetrain put in a radical. Oh, I like a radical oh. body. And Scott has built a new like XLMP prototype car, very similar to like what the radical looks like. Okay. Uh-huh. And he's putting a smaller, lighter weight diesel engine in that. Interesting. And then Aaron Kaufman's running the the truck that currently holds the record. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, the four of us, like three three builds are brand new, and the other one is the truck that owns the that holds the record, which is like high elevens right now, right? Eleven twenty four. Okay. Mid elevens. Yeah, and. Uh, so anyway, if those two prototype cars like come out swinging and they're just like dialed, then it'll be really tough for us to, to hang. Um, but I think that we've got a good solid car that, that should be pretty reliable. And we're not asking too much from the transmission or the rear end or the engine itself. Like it's, it's all pretty conservative, conservative stuff that's like doable. Um, so I think we got to bank on um, making good, good runs, good consistent runs and um, just showing up on race day and seeing what we can make it to the top on. If those guys are on point with those new setups, it's going to be a really tough package to, to go and hang with, but it's Pike's peak, man. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And usually I, does. I think Hopefully the weather I, I don't think, I know the 1124 is definitely within striking distance, but how much quicker are these other guys going to go right. on their setups? Those guys with the Volkswagen last year that in that Beetle, they were like on a mission. And um, I don't know how they ended up faring like uh, in the scheme of things with the sections that they're able to compete last year. But I'm just seeing them out here. Like when Clay would bring his BMW out, they would go out and chase him with the Volkswagen. And, <laughs> you know, Reeves was out there. At, and this is at PPIR in those test days. When Reese was out there, they'd hop in that Volkswagen. They'd go and try and chase them down. Like, <laughs> just they chase were like, everybody. Yeah, they they don't want to say they were catching or gaining on them, but they were definitely looking at those cars like benchmarks, and um, which was which was pretty crazy because they're like basically sleeping in that van. I mean, and they would put like everything they had, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into that into that Volkswagen. So it'd be really crazy to see what they end up coming up with if they're putting it in a radical chassis. Yeah, no, it's it was visibly quick um, last year, and you know they didn't get a, a proper run. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that thing is going to be a weapon for sure. Uh, what can Scott come up with with that new car? Like, it's yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun and exciting year. And I heard some rumors about some diesel competitors coming uh, next year. Next year, wow. Yeah, uh, that's so maybe, it's kind of a second stab at the mountain with uh, with Frank the Tank. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this first year goes, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's super. I want to I want to just circle back because you said that so you you had to build a new cage because of the weight, and so just just for people at home to clarify, so that the the size and thickness of the cage that's in there for safety that this is dictated by how heavy the car is. Correct. So the heavier the car, the, the thicker the cage material needs to be because of the weight of the car should something occur. So you said that, if I heard right, that the car weighs about 4,000 pounds. So you have to build a cage or to put a cage into it for 4,000 pounds now with the diesel engine. Is that right? Correct. Give or take. Yeah. So, and, and like I said, like that car, like stock, the GTRs are like 38, 37, 3,800, something in that ballpark. Yeah, they're probably closer to four by the time. Yeah. Yeah. So rest ready to go. I've never thought of a diesel engine as being lightweight. I don't think everybody's ever very often said a lightweight diesel engine, especially right. not a six liter one. 
Yeah. Like, so like the fact that you guys are able to keep the weight close to what that car was stocked with, with that diesel engine, to me, that seems that seems like an achievement. Yeah, in well, itself. the factory all-wheel drive system in the R35 is quite heavy. And so the fact that we're to two-wheel drive is where a lot of that weight savings comes. Okay. And the fact that we've got all carbon body panels on for the most part, um, that helps. Um, but yeah, it's... Two-inch, man. That is like a chunk right there. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Like, it looks okay in that chassis because it's such a dimensionally yeah. big car. You're like, yeah. ah, ratio-wise, it looks okay. Um, but it is, it is pretty pretty hefty fence post looking stuff in there yeah like well hey hopefully yeah. it never comes up and you won't need it but if if ever something should happen good that it's there yeah no it is i well i wrecked in 15 in that car yeah. and up up, uh, up top if i remember right yeah, right before cog yeah. cut the big bumps in the braking yep. zone so um that's where i learned a little bit about uh, how to build a splitter and there you go. That splitter was a bad example of how to do that. And so uh, hit the ground, splitter came off underneath the tire, and I, I went into the hillside. And luckily, the car veered left and not right. I didn't, I didn't really have a choice. It's just where, where it took me. And I remember thinking, man, I should have added an additional roof bar to this car as I'm like doing the spin of death, thinking I might go off the cliffside. Because if you go upside down in the boulder field, like the boulder can just come through the roof of the car. That's true. And never thought of that. Yeah. Your butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both bad options. I can't handle either of those. Yeah. So I remember thinking as I'm mid accident, like, damn, I should have had this tube put in, you know? Um, and so I, the, the new car has two roof bars. On nice. It. That, that is, that is commitment to, to developing your design. It's like in, in the midst of that, thinking, you know, I should, next time <laughs> we'll, we'll put these in. Yeah. yeah it, it, and we had the opportunity. Nice. Well, and it's, it's going to be super exciting to see because you thinking of a, well, as you said, a lightweight diesel engine in a radical, I mean, it would seem like that's probably that, 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 has a lot of potential, like because of the lightweight. But oh, like, totally, and it's a better transmission. This paddle shift, so it stays on boost, and they've got more gears. Like, it's yeah, it's a great way to do it for but, sure. But I mean, the GTR is no slouch, and like you haven't, like you basically kept it relatively lightweight, even with this crazy conversion. Yeah. So like I I and and that heavy weight that might actually pay, play to your benefit, especially up top. It where does. your suspension will speak. probably make the car a bit more stable. Yeah, I've, Pike's Peak is one of the only places that I can say like weight isn't as big of a deal, you know, as, as other places, just because it c can add some stability through sections and help with putting yeah. more down, especially on cold tires and stuff like that. And then you got these low speed switchbacks where arrow is doing nothing for you. Yeah. Um, so I think if it's managed right you know it's, it's not too bad you look at how fast like reese has gone in that bentley like yeah. these giant boats of cars yeah. um, you know are still um relevant really good times um it's because they can put the power down to the ground for yeah. you know, whatever reason and so you got you got the power to make up for it so this will have you know 1500 foot pounds of torque so <sighs> twisting the tires is not going to be you know Man. an issue um traction will be an issue we, we've got tons of weight over the rear axle with coolers and fuel cells and water tanks. Um, so hopefully we're, we're just able to put, put that power to use and yeah. make up for a little bit of the, 
the heavyweight side of things. Yeah. Well, around here, we refer to weight as static downforce. Yeah. I was thinking about the donuts. You know, we've talked yeah. about before. These donuts are towards our static downforce. That's right. <laughs> I was just eating cheesecake when I got on. When you texted okay. me, oh, no, I got to get down there. I was wolfing cheesecake on my run down here. You're working on increasing the static downforce for, for the right. track this weekend. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Nice. And well, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else I can even ask about the GTR. I was, I was going to ask originally, like, which was the bigger project, but I think you've answered that, that the GTR is like way, way more involved than the, than the yeah. super at this point. Yeah. Everything like everything, you know, the, yeah. the screw is closer to like Bolton subframes and you, you kind of know where everything is going to go. It's like yeah. the, the compound turbo system on this, like the second turbo is where like, the radio is in a factory GTR. It's like in the center. That's where the radio would be. Yeah. Wow. So okay. where the right radio there. would be is is yeah. where the inlet is to the air filter for this. Wow. Turbo. So, um, yeah, the, it's just a lot to learn about compound systems and diesel engine like performance in general. And sure. Um, yeah, it's it's been really exciting, and I've learned a lot. Uh, well, it looks like you guys from looking at the pictures, it looks like you had to almost completely rebuild the firewall and, and it looks like you pushed everything back in. And like, if you're needing the space for the turbo, I mean, that maybe was part of the motivation, but it seems like you moved that engine way further inside the car than, than it originated Definitely. originally. Had. Yeah. We, we cut a big section of the firewall out. So the front of the engine is about where the front of the V6, like Nissan engine is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we put it back. We, we actually had to bring it forward a little bit for some clearance on some other items. Um, yeah. So I think we moved it two inches forward. Um, items. Yeah. Yeah, items. Potential. <laughs> yeah. But and then you have something like a giant five-inch exhaust pipe. Like, yeah. look at that. Right. Yeah. So Straight through the hood. Almost the roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> through the roof. Yeah. Almost. 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 It's, uh, it is coming out the passenger side fender. Um, it's actually getting mocked up right now. It's kind of cool. Okay. Do you, in, in pushing everything back that way, do you think you're going to have decent, decent weight balance front to rear? Trying to doing the best okay. we, we can, you know, at a certain point, it's like, it just has to be where I it is. Stuff is. First you make it work and then you make it work better. Cause we could get caught up in the theory and the perfect, you know, like yeah. if we did that, we'd still be dreaming about an all-wheel drive system and sequential transmission. Like that just wasn't going to happen right. here. Does it need it? Yeah. It would benefit. Okay. Sure. But it just wouldn't get done. Like yeah, so right. we just got to get it done and go and do it and have the most reliable proven parts on the car that we could do. Um, but you know, we'd love to have all-wheel drive in the future. We'd love sure. to have transmission so um those are things that we were considering but you know that's like a v2 type of thing um but let's go find out the weak points and hey maybe it is way too nose heavy and we need to change something back or you know maybe we're having great you know keeping everything good balance cool. yeah, yeah good balance keeping the power to put down to the ground and so maybe we can reduce some of the weight over the, the rear wheels um so yeah we'll, we'll we'll make it work and then fine-tune it from there and see what's a priority but you know you can't google power stroke gtr and they're finding instructions so no well, well now you can't but all, all we see is that what you've got so far nobody else has done it yeah well i'm happy to answer questions yeah they have this uh, awesome. sometimes you never know too it might work like really really good 
I mean, we were, we make that joke with BMWs, like on paper, like the suspension design. Like if you were to read, like, oh, it's McPherson Strata front, like I mean, yeah. control arms, like inboard rear springs, like this just sounds terrible, but it just works. You yeah. just never know. You might yeah. strike it, you know, strike gold the first time, black gold. Cross. Yeah. Well, I've done enough running in the R35s in rear wheel drive, uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a, this is totally a car that you can use as a rear wheel drive platform. The yeah. all wheel drive is hmm. only for I'd say the all-wheel drive starts to help you above like 700 wheel, 800 wheel. Then you can wow. start to like lean on the fronts, but the rears put great traction down being a rear transaxle car. So um, yeah, I, I have enough confidence in running that, that platform and that chassis and two-wheel drive that uh, I think it's, it will get us close enough to then, you know, choose a direction. So shouldn't Very be cool. too far off. I've, I've driven some awful cars over the years. I don't think this will be the worst one. Well, and, and the potential is there that like Pikes Peak, certainly like if you, if you come back next year, you're going to know more and, and you, you might have an even better shot at having a, a good run next year than this year even. But like that that weight, that power plant, I mean, I'm sure that there's other diesel records out there for, for tracks and whatnot that, that you now have a good shot. That's what's so cool yeah. about it. Like one of the conversations it has like, okay, well, what do we do after Pikes Peak? I'm like, Nurburgring, like <laughs> right. What's the decent what, record at the Nurburgring, man? Uh, so we talked about World Time Attack. You know, we talked about a, a bunch of other. You know, going to Coda in February for Superlap. And, oh yeah, uh, and just doing a bunch of these cool one-off events that uh, uh, you know it would regularly running. But it would fit in perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it, like, like, oh, I'd love to see that car at Superlap. Yeah, so that'd be awesome. Yeah, we're trying to think of some cool things, and you know, we're just gathering partners right now uh, to to help with, you know, the effort to, to go to these races. We know we're covered for Pikes Peak, but beyond that, you know, it's, we want a spot in SEMA. So trying to get booth figured out for that, um, continuing the racing into the next year. I don't know if that means another year of Pikes Peak or if it's just a, a day at Superlap or, you know, we were putting it on a container to go over Nürburgring. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where, you know, the fate of the car lands, but right. uh, I, I doubt it stops at Pikes Peak. For sure. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to put all that energy into designing the car, a couple of refinements, and then like, all right, where can we put this thing next? But if, yeah. if any race can ruin somebody's perspective of motorsport, it's Pike's Peak. <laughs> oh, tell me that. If, if, if you want the soul ripped out of your body and like to ask, why would I do this? Like Pike's Peak can give you those feelings. Um, what, why is it? Is it the challenge of the length of the event, the, 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 conditions being as like the conditions at pike speaker just it's bonkers it's 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 one of those things where kind of like on paper you look at like why would you start a race at nine thousand five hundred feet and just go up from there and and like yeah it's just everything like i love the mountains i love to be there and so like it doesn't phase me it's like i'd love to wake up early and be on that mountain so like that's fine for me but the toll that it takes on other people oh yeah much, much greater than, than me, you know, because I'm, I'm in the exact spot that I want to be. But um, the cost of keeping a team on payroll for eight plus days, you know, to, to yeah. go into that, let alone the test days, um, the, you know, the time and struggle, you, you never test at 9,000 plus feet. And so you go down the valley, yeah. like, oh, cool, things working just fine. Then you get up there like, what? Is this a totally new car? Yep. So you, the, the banging your head against the wall effect that Pikes Peak creates um yeah. it's wicked cold and then you're down in the valley working on the car and it's wicked hot um right the lack of sleep 
and the logistics of getting, you know, your car and spare parts and everything up on the mountain every single day and back off. Yeah. Um, it's and, just, and the fact that you're always testing in the, like the, before the break of dawn in frigid temperatures, and then you're running midday when it's like 85 degrees. Yeah. So you, you almost cannot get any data for, for actual race day until race day. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully I get to come back next year and hopefully it's not snowing yet on my race day run. Like, yeah. so, yeah. you know, when you go and put in all the efforts and then you have to settle for a half course run or a three quarter course run, dude, that is brutal. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to cry. <laughs> I've, I've seen people like just lose it in the pits after they come back down, like at, basically at the bottom of the pits, like after, after, Rain came in and like only the top 20 competitors got a full run. Everybody else had to stop at Glen Cove. And then they bring everybody back down yeah. and you've just spent the whole week working to this. And there's, there's no chance at a place or a record or anything. I mean, that, that can be really. That difficult. is what, that is the slice that Pike's beat can take out of you where it's just like, this doesn't make sense. Like I work my ass off for an entire year or 18 months or whatever it is yeah. to have some rain like yeah. blow a hole in everything that I've done. And there's no like, Hey, we'll try again tomorrow. Or, you know, let's, let's wait 20 minutes yep. like, next year. Oh man, that sucks, dude. Like, yeah. They, cool. <laughs> what, what they always say is like what the people from Pikes Peak always say is the mountain decides. Oh, yeah. And like, that's, they're not, that's not just a, a catchy saying like that is you're, you're, you're racing the mountain period. Here's, Yep, hundred percent. So it's uh, yeah, I hate to hear it, but it's it's the truth. It's and it's that's that's like the white whale that it either gets you or it doesn't. Like you see, how so many people come in, they run for a year, and you never hear from them again. Yeah. And then there's people that all of a sudden it's like, you know, here he is again. Like well, I don't know what. I think it was Peter Cunningham shows up his first year and ran like a nine twenty or something. Yeah, like I'm like yeah. Damn it! You're supposed to struggle a little bit, you yep. know, just a little bit. And he like hit all the practices, and the car went good, and he just yep. drove on up and went super fast. And I was like, man, I'm like on year five, just on the struggle bus, and yep. um, you know, he it was, it was the decades that he put in leading up to that, yeah, that and, the, and the team too. preparation and everything to to go and do that. But it's it honestly it chapped me a little bit because like. No, like for five years in a row, nothing had gone easy for me. And yeah. just watching him show up and do great, I was like, that's not yeah. fair. You're supposed to struggle like everybody else. You, right. know, you don't have a good Pikes Peak struggle story. So yeah. well, it's um, like Sebastian yeah. Loeb was that way too. I mean, yeah. but the way the way that they were able to do that is, I mean, they just had cubic dollars that they threw at it. They rented the mountain. They, they were able to do the testing that nobody else could do. Right. And I think I've heard that there's now some rule pro prohibiting another team from coming in and doing that or something. But so it's like, it has happened a couple of times, but for most of us, that's not, that is not the way of it. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to get up there and run the race a handful of times. Yeah. To just get a feeling for what you're dealing with, get a feeling for like where you need to focus your attention just to keep the car reliable and running. And, and then once you've got that under your belt, then you can actually start worrying about going faster, bringing times down. Absolutely. That's uh Either way, if, if you get a result there, whether it's first year, 10th year, like you've earned it. Yeah. It, just it, a finish. It, yeah. It doesn't just like happen. So um, whatever you did leading up to that moment, you know, you, yep. you put in the work in, in some way or fashion. Yep. And, uh, 
yeah, the mountain decides if you, if the mountain decides, you're not. Absolutely. Well, Cole, we, we're, we're coming up a little bit over an hour. So I want to first, first of all, thank you for making the time and, and coming to chat with us again. But before I let you go, because you've done so many cool things, I have to ask you about one more, which is when I reached out to you to come on, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm actually in Australia. I'm, I'm going oh, yeah. to World Time Attack. <laughs> like, okay, holy cow, that's awesome. So you were there uh, this year, and I, I think you were doing some commentary there, right? I think I saw you. Yeah. So what, what was that like? This is the first time World Time Attack got fired up in two years, and there's a lot of guys just chomping in the bit to get back out there. What was what was that like? What was it like being back so there? So good to be back, man. And like World Time Attack's just special. Um, and I was worried about, you know, their, com- their country's just coming out of major lockdowns and no public events for two years. And this is one of the first like publicly attended like race events um, or, or major events or concerts or anything like that. So um, I was worried about how many people are going to show up and everything like that. And man, that country is ready to party. Everybody oh, yeah. up. for only yeah. having like Australian built cars, no international competitors, no international teams. It was a great turnout and a great wow. show. So something special they did this year is they ran under the lights. Yeah. It's, it's that like, if you've never done that, I, the first time I did it was at like a little circle track and it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And now I like love running underneath the lights. And so that was a whole like new level of dramatic effects to, you know, the time attack cars running at night under the lights. It's just a really, really special ambiance. Um, so I think as things get ramped up for next year and we get the international teams coming back, um, and I know there's some big pro builds in the works, um, some good development going on. Uh, so I think 2023 is going to be a mega, mega year for World Time Attack. It, it exceeded my expectations for what they were able to pull off um, under their current conditions down there. So, um, yeah, it was good to be back down there. And uh, I got invited to go to Melbourne for the F1 race the following weekend. And oh, man, had to do that. That's, you know, yeah. You're already you're already there. Stories. <laughs> yeah, you've already gone three quarters of the way around the planet. Like, why not just stay there for the Formula One race? Why? Why so would you? I already plan on staying for the week, and so yeah. I plan on staying already. But I didn't plan plan on flying to Melbourne. But uh, nice. yeah, the opportunity came up and uh, flew over, checked out the new F1 cars, got to watch them. Kind of the same feeling and effect there, where everything has just recently unlocked the world mm-hmm. to them. Um, it's probably the most amount of hype I've ever seen in a city for a motorsport events, you know, a major city wow. like Melbourne. Like I bet you 80% of the billboards in the city, especially digital ones were advertising the race. Wow. Yeah. You know, whether it was a supercar race or F1 being there or the Porsche, like career cup, whatever they call it there. Um, it was a great, great showing and lots of excitement, lots of people spending money in the pits, buying t-shirts, doing the whole thing. They had a really good turnout. Um, I think over 400,000 people over the weekend made it out to the race. So, um, yeah, motorsport in Australia is alive and well, and they are certainly happy to be back out. uh, That's so cool. Again. So, yes, I I wanted to ask you about world time attack because one of the, like the storylines that kept coming up as, as I was watching it was the tires. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of people that were having issues with the tires like yeah. delaminating or whatnot. I feel like that's every year though. Yeah. Well, okay. It's been every yeah. year for sure. Yeah. Do you think that they're, uh, cause they're, there's such purists to that original parameter of, of what time attack was like where, like where it originated in Japan. Do you think they're starting to warm to the idea that they have to like 
look at different tire construction or is it looked at as just kind of that's that's part of the challenge um i believe it's part of the challenge like okay. we definitely looked at other tires every single year and in fact for pro class it's open to other tires so there's not a spec tire um for pro class and so some okay. have tested other tires um but for me when you have time attack cars that are unlimited what's your horsepower number nobody cares if it's 1100 or 2200 horsepower like good luck Right. And so there's some limitations on arrow in relation to the, the factory width of the car and how much can go. No regulations on power. Um, and so the only control factor that they have is the tire. Mm. And so if you're blowing tires because of loading, you're blowing tires because of loading. It's, it's like, because of something you've done. Yeah, this is the tire. And so if you need to dial back downforce or take power out or not run two hot laps in a row to manage that tire, run less camber, whatever it is, that's the limiting factor. And, um, you know, I was I was one of those guys that early on, I'm in an extremely heavy car. I was arguing for slicks to like close the, the window. Um, and once I started to understand, you know, what uh, that the tire is the limiting factor and whoever manages the tire the best, gets their run um it's it's a really it really changed my way of looking at it and just saying okay in a a lawless world like time attack right all we all have to deal with this tire um at a certain level and so i saw you know tire issues that were self-inflicted from teams um tire issues that were from a result of lack of testing on new suspension setups tire failures that were related to punctures, you know, where they saw pressure going down before the, the tire flattened. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's not just like, Hey, this tire is not adequate for this because it's been very adequate for a lot of teams to go very fast. Um, but it's, it's at the limit of people managing it and asking a lot, you know, whether they want to run lower pressures or um, higher camera numbers or whatever it is. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I, it really it. is. I also see with the greed too, like, the Tilt Nevo is a good example. A couple, what, 2019, they had like set two flying sectors. And like, oh my God, this is awesome. And they had to bail. And you're like, no, what? Keep going. This is the time. Yeah. And then they blow a tire. Yeah. Like when I was watching the coverage this year, I thought I was watching like video from 2019 when they blew another tire again. I'm like, am I like, did my live stream freak out? Like what's going on here? And like, it was just, I mean, I get it too. I mean, you have to, you have to exercise restraint to an extent too because hmm. we all know in the time attack world and i try and get this to a lot of these time like these time trials guys is like there's only one condition that's going to make the car the fastest and you the fastest and that's the best condition so anything other than like the ideal or best condition is going to be second to that so why are you trying to break the car why are you trying to you know overdo it you know yeah. and so it's it's interesting for sure and yeah. you know they're always looking for ways to improve and keep it safe for competitors and everything. They, they don't want to see tire failures, you know, yeah. and if like the under Suzuki failure, that was mm-hmm. standing at pit wall, wicked fast. That was not a tire failure. That was mm-hmm. a suspension failure. Everybody thinks it was a tire failure because the mm-hmm. tire blew well, it was the suspension component failed and that and like loaded up everything on one tire. Oh, that's what caused it to blow. And um, that was a very scary hit, but the, the tire had nothing to do with the failure. It's, it, you know, it was a result of something else failing, which took the tire out. 
Um, so they're always looking for, you know, the, the next best solution. And, you know, the big change that they made from previous years to this year was open up other potential tires. Hey, if you don't think this tire is suitable, go find one, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you go do it. Yeah. And, um, and teams tested on other tires and none of them worked like this. So um, they gave the top teams the option to run other rubber. And um, I know that they're exploring other options going forward. Um, but I do believe that it's, it's self-inflicted um, by mm-hmm. the teams at a certain level, or it's an accident because you picked up a piece of carbon or yeah. you know, a suspension component failed. Um, so yeah, I, I've got no like drama with, I think it's a fantastic tire, like truly the fastest tire of its type without a doubt that I've ever driven. Um, and, and it holds up to ridiculous levels of, of downforce um, most of the time. Uh, and when you just ask a little bit too much from it, then, you know, it's, it's going to fail like any other tire, but um, I, I expect them to continue working on it. And they're not like dead set. Hey, we have to do that. Yokohama is not dead set saying, Hey, it's gotta be this thing. Um, so I think as the sport progresses, we're going to see other tire options open up. Sure. Naturally. Um, but yeah, I, I, but don't, honestly, I, I don't, I don't have worries about running our giant heavy car with tons of downboards on that tire because we took a really conservative approach to our setup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if everybody's having to run a very similar tire that is not, you know, a racing slick, then it, it, it's somewhat of an even playing field. And if, and if that's, and if that's the pop-off valve, you know, to limit, to limit certain degrees of speed, I, I never even thought of it until you said it that way, but that makes total sense. Like now that's, that's part of the challenge. You have to figure out a way to, to build a car and manage the car around a lap to get maximum performance out of that tire without exceeding it because then that's where the penalty comes in. Yeah. And those top pro cars, like they're developed, they're sorted, they're fast. Yeah. They have tire data. They have, they can monitor for failures and then see, you know, whether it's like loading on a corner. Pressures are coming down. Or pressure or, and temperature. Like even some of those club sprint cars are running like infrared tire spreads that just watch the temperature of the car. And they could see that shit in the paddock from their computer. Biden, yeah. come in. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's pretty wild, the development on the cars down there. It's like if those top five cars came from Australia to the States, they'd wipe the floor with any of us. Um, there's no comparison to the wow. level that they're at. They're that fast. Um, so they've got they've got the tools to get the data to make the right decision. Um, but it's time attack. Everybody's trying to go the absolute fastest and break yeah. the record the year before. Um, and so, yeah, it's just uh, the, the pointy end of the stick that we've gotten to in, in this game right now. Yeah. yeah. Were there least, any cars? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dustix. I mean, I just appreciate like Global Time Attack did it and they had obviously a lot of pushback and stuff. But I'm glad for me personally that it was a good tire and not a, like a, a subpar tire. Totally. You know what I mean? So I think it's at the bare minimum. You see all these people complaining and from a spectator standpoint, like, oh, well, you should be able to do this. They should be able to do that. I was like, I'm glad we're not spec'd on RS4 Hankooks. Not that there's yeah. anything wrong with them, yeah. but I mean, an AO52 is so much faster. Yeah. You know, and I did like that they were like those club sprint guys were able to run AO52s this year over the AD08. So I don't know. Like, I know that tire personally is stupid fast. So I'm glad that like, at least those tire companies are investing in the programs and their fast tires, you know, good tires. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Yokohama, Japan made special molds just to create the tire that is the pro class tire. 
Yeah. Because they believed in time attack and what was doing. And like, so they put their money where their mouth is and they created that tire knowing they'd never sell enough tires to like Mm. make their tooling costs back on it because it is such a niche tire. Um, But yeah, they, they, they want the best tire possible. And I think it's a great brand to be aligned with time attack. And uh, certainly it was a strong partnership for what we saw in global time attack in the U S I, I fully support the decision to do that, even though there was some kickback in the beginning. It's like, it's, it's better for the long term, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It supports what we're doing too. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's an offset of cost because that, I mean, all of us have talked to JD and know that it's expensive to, to run and put those events on and you don't always get it back. You don't always make your money. And so oh, that's nice. Yeah. If, helping if anybody them. thinks JD's making money off time attack, they're a crazy fool. And yeah. He's, he's like, Time attack, Jesus, you know, he's doing everything he can to keep it strong and working for the people. And he would never make a selfish decision to like, you know, choose a tire contract with a subpar provider, uh, you know, because they sponsored a little bit more money or something like that. So he definitely has the best interest of the time attack community in mind with with all these decisions. And it's really a selfless act on his part. Yeah, what happened? Love that guy. For sure. Well, and Cole, just to wrap up, were there any standout cars or things that you were that you saw there that just like really impressed you or blew your mind or anything? Yeah, a couple things. So I was a pit reporter for the club sprint uh, and open class cars. And dude, club sprint is so fast. <laughs> street cars, street cars. So uh, this, this guy, Jamal, went, uh, he's got an Evo, I think it's a six. Or seven. Anyway, I should know, but I don't. And he went like a 133 in a street car yeah. and just decimated wow. the competition. And so that was to me a standout as one of like the most dominating performances at World Time Attack ever. Um, he just showed up and threw it down and it was super impressive. And I looked at the car and it's so simple. It is so really? original Evo. It is not dramatic. It's not over the top, not tons of custom parts, like just a simple package. And, um, you know, the, the saying, keep it simple, stupid kiss. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Uh, totally applied and the results speak for themselves. I, I think about yeah. how fast that car went. So that was a big standout. Um, and then another club sprint car um, was a two-wheel drive, new Supra. I've been super impressed with the new Supra platform across all different types of competitive racing. Um, I think it's just when it comes out of the box that good, it's a great starting point. So um, he was the fastest two-wheel drive car, had professional aero built and designed for it and went really quick. Um, And I think those cars are just going to get quicker. Um, Another car that impressed me was the Yaris GR. Um, I had one as like a rental car, uh, if you can call it that while I was down there. So I got to drive it around for about five days, but they also had another guy, um, competing in one, um, in the club sprint class. And he went like mm-hmm. six or something like that. So yeah, for brand, brand new car, brand new platform to go that quick, um, was, was really impressive. Um, so those, those two new, new cars and the old Evo that just wiped the floor with them. Yeah. Um, it was really cool to see, you know, how fast those club sprint guys can go. I mean, when you look at like the times that like the top open class cars were the difference between the Evo and those top open class versus the Evo and like the next closest car and club sprint was just like that gap is like almost this like, how do you throw a dart in between the top open cars and, you know, and the second place? It's just it was super cool. Like watching it was just like, 
You got to yeah. be kidding. I thought at first when he ran that 133, because he did like a 135, which everyone's like, oh, my God, that's insane. And he goes out with the 133, which is like, what just happened? You know, that was- <laughs> that, that's the one perfect lap that everybody's yeah. talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I got, got it right here to remind me. One perfect lap. One perfect lap. lap. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah he, he got it. That was that was probably the standout uh, thing for me. And seeing those new cars and how quick they can go right out of the box, you know, with, with not a lot of development, um, you know, time. Very cool. Man, that's awesome. Man, I just I can't wait for next year. And I can't wait for Pikes Peak. It's just it's, it's unrelenting. Like there's just cool stuff happening all over the place these days. Man. Well, you're going to have to come back more often because I feel like every time we see you, it's like, we're holding off on two-hour podcasts. Like we gotta catch right. up. Oh, don't worry. I, I, I got this. There's this. There's this. Yeah, it's just crazy, man. Over the next yes. month or so, you're gonna see me release some cool stuff. Um, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, a couple, couple like personal car projects, things not nice. kind of shop related, kind of some things that I'm, I'm trying to do. Spend some racing efforts doing. So, I'll definitely keep you up to speed All on right. some content that's coming out, and I'll definitely see you guys. Um, Pikes I have, Peak, be, probably. Yeah, Pikes Peak, I'll be there for two weeks in, in Colorado Springs for Pikes Peak, and then I'll spend three weeks there. It looks like in August between Rallycross Nationals oh, yeah. and Grid Life and CHCA stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I, I've got to get like a and you, like I, a, a temporary like residence or something. Pass yeah. for Colorado or something. Yeah, that. yeah. That's, that's the, you can't see it, but that's the uh, Pikes Peak International Raceway right behind me. <laughs> Yeah, buddy. Yep. Well, I live. This is my house. You guys. He literally lives at the guy. track. Good. Well, I'm, you're gonna. You're about to have a roommate. Hell nice. yeah. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, Cole, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for spending so much time. Bring us up to speed. Cannot wait to see what what has come down the pipe, and, and really looking forward to seeing that that Nissan and the Subaru like getting shaken down and and doing some work at Pikes Peak this year. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, buddy. It's going to be a good one. Heck yeah. Well, well, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks to everybody for listening and, and sticking with us to the end. Appreciate your support as always. And until next time, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Flatirons Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.